our mind, this is a, a, a pretty good place to be. It is very diverse in its population. In fact, if you read history, we find that there is in the city not only walls outside of it, but walls within the city itself and quartering off to 18 different groups within the city. The boroughs that has walls dividing these boroughs of ethnic groups. And so for, uh, as we read this, you'll notice the names are given of the leaders, some of the leaders of this church. Why are these names given? Luke is giving you a little bit of biographical information about these characters. Uh, there's this uh, Barnabas. Now Barnabas comes from uh, Jerusalem, but his origin was uh, Cyprus, the island that they will go to. But he spent time in Jerusalem. Remember, Barnabas was the one who sold his land because of the needs of the church and gave that money uh, and then was sent to uh, endorse and encourage uh, Saul and was sent to this area, Antioch, to give teaching. Went and got Saul and brought him here. So Barnabas has been known as the encourager financially, spiritually, and as a teacher. And then you've got uh, Simeon, uh, who was called Niger. This is the Latin word for dark or black, which is speaking to his color. Uh, And so we have a little bit about him. And then you got Lucius of Cyrene, which would have been an African uh, origin. Uh, And then Mananean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. And he would have been of social elite. In fact, probably a foster brother to the Herod, the one that was in the trials of Jesus, the one that killed John the Baptist. He would have been of a ruling class. And you've got these people all together from North Africa, Latin, Jerusalem, uh, then Saul, who was uh, from Europe of Tarsus. Uh, And so you've got three continents, four racial groups all together. And this is the church of Antioch. These are the leaders of Antioch. So what you understand is, they literally had to cross walls to worship together. So this is a diverse region, and the church starts to reflect the region that the city is in. And there's something to be said about this. We've talked about this before. Uh, And so Christ is the unifying force in what normally would be uh, ethnically separate groups of people. Now, how many of you understand that the color of skin and the ethnicity and the social elite does not guarantee unity, does it? Because if that was true, then all of our families would be unified. But we're finding that we can be biologically of the same blood and chromosomes, and yet we still have division in our families. So it's more than your ethnic cultural origin, more than even the fact that you got the same mother and father that brings unity. And so what chromosomes can't do, what blood can't do, the work of the Holy Spirit does and brings together people. And so part of, we've seen, if we are in a diverse region, like Nightdale is, and becoming more and more diverse, then the church uh, brings in together people of other races, ethnicity, to show a foretaste of things to come. The church is the colony of heaven, and as such, it has brings all people together. And so we're constantly praying and working. And we have thanked God for the people that have come from different ethnicities because it is a, a, a gift to us, a gift to us. And it's something we want to encourage. And so here this church is a, is a diverse church, uh, and they are working together. So let me just bring up this point. What you divide over as a believer, 
What you divide over as a believer, you are proclaiming as greater than Christ. Do you realize that? If If you are a brother and sister with someone in Christ, but yet you divide with them, then you are saying that that issue which you divide over is greater than what unites you, which is Jesus Christ. So think about that as you deal with the conflicts that happen in our family and in our neighborhoods and in our church. We got to make sure that Christ is center. So that takes you to the next phrase, all right? As we keep on reading, notice what this church is doing. While they are worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said something. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called you. So from a diverse church that intensely worships Christ intensely worships Christ you see this is the key to their unity they're not bringing out all the possibilities that divide a church and they have they don't have a structure that that promotes the building because I've seen that buildings guess what divides a church because everybody's got different taste about something about a building so the building cannot be what unites the church yes it's where we meet it but it's christ that unites so we lift up jesus christ and as we keep him front and center it keeps away or keeps in place the things that divide us they are insignificant as we are lifting up jesus christ and keeping him forefront in our heart and in our worship corporately together so notice how they're worshiping what are they doing they're worshiping lord and fasting Then after fasting and praying, we saw in Acts chapter 12 that when Peter was in prison that the church in Jerusalem was praying in the night, through the night. They were praying. And so there is within the DNA of the church in Jerusalem and in the church of, of Antioch that the solution always involves worship and prayer and fasting. Now, fasting is not something that we... um, we don't talk about that too much uh, because in our mind that was Old Testament. Um, and, and so, in fact, Jesus said uh, that uh, while the groom is with them, you don't mourn but when, that, when he's away. But interesting enough, when Jesus does go away bodily, you see that the church again starts resuming this practice uh, as a way to express to God, I want to hear from God more than I want food. It is an expression of intensely desiring God. All right? Now, we talk about worship styles all the time, don't we now? I mean, that's, that seems to be the thing. Then there are good worship styles, all very different, exuberant. Some of them are more solemn or quiet and studious, uh, taking notes. And some of us are, are uh, well, I don't know anyone here, but some people yell and scream, okay? Uh, but you don't really see the worship style fasting. <laughs> no one wants to bring out that. But nonetheless, here they are, and it just shows an intensely worship of Christ. And as they are doing that, is there any surprise that this is when the Holy Spirit speaks? When we worship, we're to bring our worship with us. It is to celebrate together, It involves preparation on our part, but we are praying for God's presence. I want that to be your prayer. That when we come together, we're not just coming to say, well, I wonder what the pastor's going to say today. Or uh, I wonder what songs are going to be sung. I wonder what music's going to be done. No, 
The question that must be is, will I sense God's presence? Let me pray for that. And that is not done because a certain song is sung. That isn't done because the pastor is especially eloquent that day. That is done as a result of prayer and asking God for his presence to be there. So let's begin our times, let's begin our days asking God, be here. Let your presence be known. He's here, but let it be known in a way that encourages our faith and prepares us for the work and that we can hear from him. And so we have a diverse church that intensely worships Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit directs. From a diverse church that intensely worship Christ, the Holy Spirit directs. Now, we all said, now who is, who is the head of the church? Jesus. All right, that's the right answer. Okay, Jesus is the head of the church. But have we ever wondered, what exactly does that mean? How does that play out in a church? Because there's still some guy that calls himself the pastor, or hopefully the church calls him the pastor, uh, and there's these leaders in the church. So how does that work? It only can work if there is a spirit of God in the people themselves who are yielded to that spirit and seeking him so that they know what he sounds like when the God speaks to their heart and they are yielded to whatever direction God gives them. Now that is a challenge for us, isn't it? It requires for us first to be under the authority of God, to be under the authority of Jesus. Listen, do not think that you will hear much from the Spirit of God if we do not listen and obey the Spirit of God. If we want God to speak to us, we have to be obedient to what he's already told us. And so as a church, they're learning this. They're practicing this. And so as they're worshiping, I, I keep thinking about what Jesus said. There will be a day. Remember the, the debate? He was in John chapter 4 talking to a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, kind of throwing him off. Yeah, you, you Jews talk about you have to worship in Jerusalem. We worship here in Samaria. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you someday. God is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be in Jerusalem. It's not going to be in Samaria. It's going to be some place called Antioch you've not even been to yet. But he will find people who will worship in spirit and truth, and the Holy Spirit directs them. So let me ask you this question. As God is looking at our hearts, what does he see? Are we worshiping in spirit and truth? As we are worshiping, yielded, the Holy Spirit will speak. I found in my life that when I have been knowingly disobedient to God, I found those who preach the word of God strangely dull and boring. Why? Because my heart had pushed God away. Let us pray for soft hearts to hear the Spirit of God. To be yielded to them. And so the Holy Spirit is directing them. And so notice what they do. They're, then after fasting and praying, 
they laid their hands on them and sent them off. There was something about how the Spirit of God was directing the leaders and the people of the church where everyone knew this is God speaking. It was evident through the body. They knew the will of God as it became evident through the body. Have you ever heard someone say, uh, you know, I, I really believe that this is the will of God. And they bring up some questionable decision. You ever heard someone do something like this? Just a questionable decision. And, they, and then they say, well, I, I just really believe God's telling me. So then what are you supposed to do to that? That's kind of like the trump card. I mean, oh, okay. Well, how do you know the Spirit of God is telling you that? Well, I've just prayed about it. Have you talked to the body of Christ? Isn't it interesting that the church is called the body of Christ? It is a place of gathering together of those who are surrendered to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is speaking. Listen, you will find that when the Spirit of God is moving in your life, it will be affirmed by those who are surrendered to the Spirit of God. And sometimes we don't want to bring it up to somebody else because we know they're going to rain on our parade a little bit. Because we know good and well, it's just really what we want to do. And so I just want to present to you that the affirmation of the Spirit's working is going to be affirmed in the body as it's done here. And so here uh, Saul and Barnabas are set apart to the work that the Holy Spirit has called them. God is calling them. And so they feel the affirming. Listen, when a church is making a decision, we are not so much voting and saying, hey, this is what I, I want to do. It is a sense of this is what we believe that God wants us to do. And so the question must always be, what does God want us to do? Not what do I think ought to happen. What does God want to do? And let us consider this and let's make sure that we are affirming what is God's direction? And that is how the church operates here in this situation and how it still is to operate. And so then after fasting, praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off. This excursion uh, that they're about to go on is going to take somewhere around two years uh, as they go. And so I think about what, what frees Barnabas up so he can go so quickly. And I can't help but remember he was the one that sold his land. For the needs of the church. He's already gone from Cyprus to Jerusalem to Antioch. And now he's just free and ready to move as the Spirit of God directs in his life. So what happens now? Well, as we keep on reading, uh, they lay their hands on him and sent them off. So, verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. This was the port city for Antioch. It was about 15 miles away from Antioch. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. This is an island about a 75-mile boat ride uh, from the port city. They arrived at Salamis, which is the largest city of Cyprus. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So, continuing with our sentence, from a diverse church that intensely worships Christ, the Holy Spirit directs, to broadcast the gospel. 
to broadcast the gospel. You will find over and over as we read the book of Acts, when you want to know what is the tone of the Holy Spirit speaking, what is the theme of his speaking, it is always in concert with the word of God. And we've seen in Acts chapter 1-8 that Jesus gave the commission that he is, they are to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and that's been covered all the way up to this point in Acts. And now in Acts 13, a switch, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so from Acts 13 on, it is the fulfillment of this commission of Acts 1.8. So the Spirit of God will speak in concert with the Word of God. And the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation has always been about let the image of God fill the earth. Before it was just, hey, have babies. But then the fall came, and man has fallen ever since. So now it's not going to work just by having babies, because having babies just spreads sin and fallenness. And so now, from Genesis 3 all the way through, it is about Jesus Christ. It is about the Redeemer. And so keeping on, from Genesis to Revelation, it has always been about how every tribe, every nation will one day know Jesus Christ and glorify God the Father. That is the tone of the Holy Spirit's working in the Word of God. So do not be surprised when you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you that is going to agree with the same theme of broadcasting the gospel. Now, it's interesting as I've been considering, think about 1 Corinthians 12, where it says the Holy Spirit gifts you with certain things. And it's not really ours to debate with. We just take the gifts of God, the talents and abilities, and use them for the building up the church. If that's true of us individually, then it's also true of us as a church. That there are certain themes, certain messages that God's going to work uniquely through a church. And so we can't necessarily be just like the church down the street. Because we have different giftings. And the Holy Spirit is going to use us differently. And so here you have Jerusalem. That's, that was the beginning church. That was the mother church in a lot of ways. This is the beginning of the teaching and what is orthodox. And in fact, even still, uh, we'll see in just a chapter or two, they go back to Jerusalem to settle matters of doctrine. But in Antioch, it becomes the missionary sending church. It is, remember, this is the place where they're first called Christians. There is just a unique role for every church to play. And so I just want to present that to us. There is a unique role for our church to work at in Nightdale and Raleigh and indeed the entire world. But one of the things is that we are going to be about broadcasting the gospel. You remember broadcasting those of you who work in the farms? Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, I used to, hey, there's certain crops that you had to put in individually. Just certain, two, three seeds, and it had to be exact, you know? You had to cover it up. But then every once in a while, there was something you could just, just spread out. That was the fun one. You know, it was a lot less effort involved. You just spread it out. Well, what we've got here is the broadcasting of the gospel that goes out, not just in uh, the area of Antioch, but goes out. So, listen, for us here at Green Pines, we feel a burden for Nightdale. We have felt especially a burden for the neighborhoods up and down Hodge Road, the very place God has located us. Many of us are right around this area. So we have just brought out Churchill as one neighborhood. God has brought some members from Churchill to our church. Take, take note. Take note of where God brings members from. 
we find in Antioch that some of the members came from Cyprus. Barnabas himself came from Cyprus. When you see that it happened, then maybe there is an invitation from God to join him in the work that he's wanting to do in a neighborhood. And so what we are looking at doing is, is we are praying. We want to worship Jesus Christ in Churchill. So some of you have volunteered to lead prayer teams. Some of you have already gone driving or walking in the area uh, and praying for the neighborhoods. Listen, what you're wanting to do is let the name of Christ be praised. Worship Jesus there. And, and let's begin the work there. And then some of us are beginning survey work. We're just getting to know the people. In fact, today at 4.30, uh, for those of you who would like to, we are going to meet today and go to Churchill for prayer teams, prayer walking, as well as survey working to get to know the people and pray with them. Why are we doing that? Because the Holy Spirit has always been about broadcasting the gospel, proclaiming. Notice what they do. They proclaim the word of God. As they go, they go to the synagogues. You see that right there in verse 4. They proclaim the word of God. They went to the synagogues of Jews because this was the one that Paul was convicted to go to the Jew first. But often what happened was there was Gentiles that were there in the synagogues. And usually what happened is these Gentiles grabbed hold of Jesus Christ and shared with their friends and it got spread from friend to friend. You know what we're praying for as we go into Churchill? Some of you might already be uh, these, these roles, but we're praying that we're going to meet folks who are houses of peace, the people of peace, that God will use your connections, your friends to share with them about Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that we can start some discipleship communities, people that will gather together to learn about the teachings of Jesus Christ with the hope of following him and sharing with others. We're praying for Churchill. We're going to pray for all the neighborhoods around us. Pray for this in your neighborhood as well. Why, why, how do we get this strategy? It comes right out of the book of Acts. It comes right from the book of Luke. So we're being sent out to proclaim, listen, when you are surrendered to the Spirit of God, do not be surprised when the Holy Spirit convicts you, compels you to speak up for His Word. You'll see in the book of Acts, it always seems to come together. They're filled with the Spirit, and then they proclaim. They teach. They share the gospel. You've got to find the words, the verses, the memory verses to be able to share with someone else the hope you have that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, forgives you of your sins, and you have hope of eternal life and getting right with God. You've got to be able to articulate that as being followers of him. But notice what happens as we keep on reading. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is the cousin of Barnabas who probably had knowledge of Cyprus as well. And then, verse 6, we're going to see that this happens with the power of God. So from a diverse church that intensely worships Christ, the Holy Spirit directs to broadcast the gospel with the power of God. And when they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, so they started from the east and they moved 106 miles west, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. You know what that means? Son of a Savior. <laughs> Son of Savior. Uh, we're going to see a little irony in that. He was with the proconsul. This was the leader of Cyprus. 
Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. We are praying that we can meet people like this who we might call, they're just spiritual people. They've got, they've got some crazy teaching that they're listening to or seeking out, but they really want to hear the word of God. And that's who God matches them. It's, it's amazing. Here Sergius was. He was thirsting for the word of God. He sought this guy, Simon Bar-Jesus, to kind of help him and... and 75, 100 some miles away, at the same time, God raises up Antioch, who happens to be praying and fasting and seeking the Lord, and God calls out Saul and Barnabas and brings them together. And this is the working of God that happens. But then you've got this guy, verse 8. Whenever you see an opportunity for proclamation of the word of God, there will be also an opportunity for Satan to come in and thwart things. So here, Satan is working through this man. Elimus, magician, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, now I want you to note something here, verse 9. This is the first time Saul's name gets changed to Paul. A lot of times he thought it happened at the Damascus Road, but as we've read in Acts, that hasn't happened yet. This is the very first mention that Saul has his name more commonly known as Paul. Paul is his Roman name. Saul is his Hebrew name. And I don't think it's any any coincidence whatsoever that Saul starts going by Paul as he's working with more Gentile areas. He literally is called a different name so that he can reach the Gentiles. And so that's what's happening here. And this is the first time we hear Paul's voice since his conversion. And what does he say? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, we learned that means yielded to the Holy Spirit. Yielded to him, looked intently at him, and said, you son of the devil. Now that's a great way to get introduced to somebody, isn't it? Uh, Why did he call him that? You remember what his name is? Simon, or or not Simon, Bar-Jesus, Ilimus, Bar-Jesus. Son of the Savior? He says, you're no son of the Savior. You're the son of the devil. And the word there is diabolus, literally slanderer. You son of a slanderer. You are slandering Jesus. You're slandering the word of God. He says, you are the enemy of all righteous, full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Listen, heaven, David and Kara, There will always be those voices that will try to make the straight paths of Jesus crooked. It's a very simple thing with Jesus. You follow him, he is Savior, you trust him. But there will be voices as you grow up and as you continue down life that will constantly be chattering in your head, he's not the Savior, he's not worth following, this will not lead you joy. Why don't you go this way instead? And they will constantly try to make the straight paths crooked. And so here this is going on with this man who's hungry. But all this was being used by God to show his power. Don't be discouraged when opposition comes in your life to follow Jesus. It will only set up God to work. How do you know that it's the power of God? Well, you, you know the power of God when there's resistance, when there's opposition, and he wants his word to go out with power. Some of your opposition is going to be in your heart. 
you got 10,000 reasons why you don't want to follow Jesus. And you're going to see that God and his power will strike them down one by one until it's just you and God. When that happens, that's the power of God at work. You know what we need to pray for, church? Pray for God's power to be brought to our words. If there's anything you can pray for me, pray that as I teach that the power of God will be brought to this moment in time so that you can be be built up in the faith and the Spirit of God. When you are sharing, some of you are thinking, I can't share well. I get my words all confused. I get my verses all messed up. Listen, just surrender to the power of God and God can use you who's yielded to the Spirit of God and you get your words all tongue-tied, but God can use that greater than someone who's eloquent, has great knowledge of the Word of God, but not yielded to the Spirit of God. Now, how is it that Paul can get off saying what he said? I mean, that's, that's not really taught uh, by anybody and how to witness to someone. All right, so first, insult them. Call them the son of the devil. Tell them that they're against all things right. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the key. You see that right after it introduces Saul? Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key right there. Because amazingly... God uses his speech to bring blindness upon this opposition. How did Saul's speech have such power? God used him because Saul was yielded to the authority of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Yielded in every way to the authority of God. If you want to know the power of God in your life, the power of God through your work, you must be yielded to the authority of God. And so here, Saul was yielded to him, and as he hears this, he senses the prompting of the Spirit using his gifts and abilities and and personality and proclaims a harsh word. God uses it with power so that this man becomes blind, and when the ruler sees the power of God at work, it's not just when he heard about Jesus, but when he saw the power of God at work, notice verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You remember what was astonishing to, uh, to the Jews of Jesus' day? They saw that when Jesus taught, he had authority, not like the rulers around him. He had authority when he taught. What happened here? This ruler saw and could recognize spiritual authority so that when Paul taught, amazing things happened. I think that what is lacking in our life isn't necessarily another evangelism course, another five verses you need to memorize. But maybe what is lacking in our life is that we're not yielded to the Spirit of God. We're not obeying. We're not surrendering. And I assure you, there is no measure of sacrifice that will substitute for obedience. You can join the choir. You can be here every time the door opens. You can give of your tithes and beyond. And you can say, I'm doing all this sacrifice. But listen, if you're not obedient to the God, that doesn't really matter. 
to obey is better than sacrifice. And so the power of God went out. And a whole world was moved. It went from Cyprus. The ruler had connections to an, another Antioch up north. They moved up from there. And they went to those regions of Galatia and came back. And in Acts 14, they report to their home church, Antioch, and say, God has opened up the door of faith to the Gentiles. We've got all kinds of plans for Churchill and the other neighborhoods around. We can have organization. We can be slick. We can have block parties. We can have great music. But if we are not intensely worshiping Jesus Christ and yielded to the Spirit of God, very little broadcasting with power is being done. And more importantly, we open up the door as well for disunity and for God to be slandered. A diverse church that intensely worships Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit directs to broadcast the gospel with the power of God. Let's be that. And the very first place that we have to go is wherever the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart now that you are holding on to in opposition, you've got to let it go. Because this can't happen until we let those things go and surrender to Him. Will you surrender what it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that keeps you from following Him? Let's do that this morning. Let's pray.